From the Heidelberg Catechism, we read together Lord's Day 17. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he can make us share in the righteousness which is obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, on the first Easter Sunday almost 2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. One of the real striking things about his resurrection is how long it took for his followers to understand and believe this. The first Easter Sunday was no joyous day of anticipation for Christ's disciples. They were not eagerly awaiting him at the entrance of the tomb when he arose. The disciples were not like King Darius, who got up very early in the morning and ran to the lion's den to see if Daniel was still alive. They did not remember the words that Jesus had spoken concerning his resurrection. They did not expect much from him anymore. Instead of joyful anticipation, the hearts of Jesus' followers were filled with sorrow. Instead of a firm confidence that all was well, they were confused that first Easter Sunday morning. All their hopes concerning Jesus being the Christ had been shattered. How could it be that this man, whom they believed was the Christ, had died. Were their hopes and expectations all wrong? Was Jesus then not the Messiah? From the gospel accounts, it's clear that Jesus' disciples did not immediately understand all that had happened. They needed time for their faith to be confirmed. They needed to see and to understand before they could believe. Today, there are many people in this world who do not accept the claims of Christianity. They scoff at the idea that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They see the resurrection as a fable or a myth, as a good story around which Jesus' disciples could rally their followers. They see it as an inspirational tale to inspire us to rise up and be the very best we possibly can be in this life. But most people in our society are not willing to believe that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. Such opposition to one of the basic claims of the Christian faith can cause us to begin to doubt. We need to be careful not to fall for the world's perspectives. Many people claim that they don't believe in the resurrection because science has convinced them to only believe what they see and experience, what they can prove. And yet at the same time, such people are willing to believe in aliens in space and in flying saucers. Beloved, we need to recognize that Christ's resurrection is the central fact 
on which our faith rests. If Jesus did not actually rise from the dead, then our faith is empty and meaningless. Unless we believe this, we've got no reason to go on living, no purpose for our lives, no hope for the future. This morning I preached to you the good news of the gospel under the following theme. We confess that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We'll consider the fact of his resurrection and the fruit of his resurrection. The fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead is increasingly challenged, both by those who do not believe in God and also by some who profess Jesus as their Savior. The main push behind this disbelief seems to be that people cannot accept something they cannot see or experience or prove. They say it's not scientific. Beloved, we need to understand what science is really all about. The goal of scientists is to observe what normally happens and then find an explanation for it. Scientists look for repeated patterns and then they propose hypotheses to try to explain that pattern. The problem is, is that Jesus' resurrection is not a normal event, something that repeatedly happens. It is a unique, it is a one-time occurrence. You cannot use the scientific method to try understand or explain it. Different theories have been proposed to deny the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Some suggest that Jesus did not really die. They suggest Jesus went into a coma and that a few days later he awoke from it. There is a real problem with that theory. John's Gospel tells us about how the Jewish leaders asked Pilate to have the bodies of those crucified taken down before sundown when the Sabbath started. To hasten the death of the men crucified with Jesus, their legs were broken. But when the Roman soldiers came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. These were hardened, experienced Roman soldiers. They knew what they were doing. They judged Jesus to be dead. John's Gospel gives one additional bit of evidence to prove Jesus really died. One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, and a mixture of blood and water came out. John was right there. He testifies that he saw this and that his testimony is true. Normally, if you are alive and you have a spear poked into your side, you'll bleed. But after death, the heart is no longer pumping. We don't bleed in that kind of normal way. Medical experts give different suggestions for why a mixture of blood and water came out of Jesus. But they all agree on one fact. According to the testimony given, Jesus truly died. This is supported by what the Gospels tell us about Jesus' burial. After Jesus' death, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Mark tells us that Pilate was surprised to hear that he had already died. He summoned the centurion responsible for crucifying Jesus to find out if this was true. It's only when he learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead that he granted the body to Joseph. There's another theory promoted to try to deny Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It's an old theory, one that arose already in the early Christian church. 
We read about it in Matthew's Gospel. Some people suggest that Jesus' disciples stole his body. Yet there are certain proofs that can be brought against this deception. The first is that the Jewish leaders were afraid that this might happen, and they posted a guard at the tomb. Matthew tells us that upon Jesus' resurrection, the guards reported what had happened to the Jewish leaders and were paid to tell people the disciples stole Jesus' body while they were sleeping. Matthew tells us this story was spread among the Jews until the time when he wrote his gospel. One of the main arguments that people today make against Jesus' resurrection is that this is just a myth invented by the disciples. Well, let's examine how reasonable this suggestion is. You would think that if the disciples conspired to lie about Jesus' resurrection, they would make sure that they all told the same story. That's what you need to do if you're going to sell a lie. You need to get your story straight to make sure you all testify exactly the same thing. The thing is, is that the gospel accounts don't do that. Matthew tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary saw an angel sitting on the stone that he had rolled back from the tomb. Mark tells us that the women saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting in the tomb. Luke tells us that the women were confronted by two men who stood before them in dazzling apparel. Matthew is the only gospel that speaks about how Jesus appeared to the women. Mark and John tell us about Jesus made himself known to Mary Magdalene. Luke doesn't make any mention of Jesus appearing to any of the women. Not everything written in the gospel accounts is easy to harmonize. We believe that it's true because it's part of the inspired word of God. But even if you don't believe in the inspiration of Scripture, you would have to admit that the gospel accounts surely don't sound like a premeditated story that the disciples dreamed up. There's no evidence of collusion here. The Gospels come across as eyewitness accounts which record what happened from different people's experiences that day. The idea that Jesus' resurrection is just a myth concocted by the disciples is also contrary to everything else we read about them. The Gospels don't paint a flattering picture of the disciples. When the Jewish leaders captured Jesus, all the disciples deserted him. Peter, one of the bravest of the disciples, followed Jesus and even went into the courtyard of the high priest where Jesus was on trial. While there, he was accused of being with Jesus. Peter denied his Lord three times. After Jesus died, the disciples were discouraged and disheartened. The disciples on the road to Emmaus said that they had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. But the disciples' dreams were dashed with his death. The disciples didn't make up the story of Jesus rising from the dead. When the women reported the news of Jesus' resurrection to them, they were very skeptical. Luke says... These words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. Even after Jesus appeared to his disciples, Thomas didn't believe. 
He said that unless he saw the marks of the nails in Jesus' hands and placed his hand in his side, he would not believe. And yet somehow, in some way, these disciples changed. They went from being skeptics to believing that Jesus had risen from the dead. Their sorrow was changed to joy. While they'd been discouraged and defeated, their lives changed dramatically when Jesus appeared to them alive again. These timid disciples who had deserted and denied their Savior became bold witnesses, proclaiming his victory over sin and death. Even the Jewish authorities arrested them for speaking about Jesus and made threats to silence them. They were not cowed into submission. Striking to see the advice Gamaliel gave to the Jewish council about how to deal with the apostles. They wanted to kill Peter and John. Gamaliel gave examples of how there were other leaders who had groups of followers. He tells about Thutis, who claimed to be somebody. When he was killed, his followers were dispersed. Similarly, Judas the Galilean arose and drew a following after him. He was killed and his followers were scattered. On this basis, Gamaliel gave the following advice. Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Did what the Jewish leaders considered the Jesus sect disperse once their leader was killed? Did the followers of Jesus fall away? The opposite happened. The followers of Jesus proclaimed the news of Jesus' death and resurrection far and wide. They were opposed, first by the Jews and later by the Romans. The believers in Jerusalem were bitterly persecuted. When the gospel spread through the Roman world, Jews and Gentiles alike gave Christians a hard time. And the followers of Jesus were willing to suffer persecution. Many even gave their lives as martyrs for the sake of the gospel. Jesus of Nazareth is not some figment in people's imaginations. Non-Christian historians give evidence to the fact he is a real historical person. Josephus, a Jewish historian, refers to Jesus in the Antiquities of the Jews, written around 93 AD. Tacitus, a Roman historian, referred to Christ and his crucifixion by Pontius Pilate in his Annals, written in 116 AD. The negative tone of his comments on Christians makes it highly unlikely that this is some kind of a forgery by a Christian scribe. Besides that, beloved, we have the gospel accounts, and we have the letters of the New Testament writers. Even if you do not accept them as the word of God, they do present a strong testimony about the historical Jesus. Secular history acknowledges that the Christian church arose out of the events that happened around Jesus' death. Our history is divided into two time periods. 
into the time before Christ and the time after Christ. The point I'm making, beloved, is that no reasonable person can simply dismiss Jesus' resurrection as some kind of myth made up by his disciples. From a scientific viewpoint, many people want to say that the resurrection is impossible. Many people discount the idea that Jesus could have risen from the dead. But if you don't believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you have some explaining to do. You need to explain how a leaderless group of discouraged disciples changed so dramatically. You need to explain why thousands of people in the early church were willing to be beheaded or thrown to the lions or die at the stake for their faith. Were they all crazy? You also need to explain how it is that the gospel has gone out far and wide. Gamaliel said that if this movement was from man, it would die out. History records many examples of leaders taking a nation by storm who disappeared into obscurity after their death. But the gospel has spread into all kinds of different languages. Today, the voice of Jesus Christ is being heard throughout the world. Millions of people have committed their hearts and lives to him without ever seeing him. The world argues the resurrection cannot happen, therefore it did not happen. But if you are not fully convinced of the truth that Jesus rose from the dead, do you have another way of explaining the data? Are you willing to consider that your perspective might not be as secure as you think? Is it possible that the reason that the early church believed that Jesus arose from the dead was because he did and because many of them saw him? Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 15. The chapter begins by recording the basic facts about Jesus, that he died, was buried, and raised on the third day. Paul lists people to whom Jesus appeared by name. And then he adds that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Anyone in Paul's day who doubted the resurrection could have asked many different people to testify of it. Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's not some fantasy made up by the disciples. It truly happened. It brings us to our second point, the fruit of Christ's resurrection. The fact that Christ was raised from the dead is not some marginal issue, beloved. It is a matter of life and death. Paul makes the point plainly. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Why does Paul say this? Why is believing that Jesus rose from the dead so essential for Christians? Paul answers this question in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It's not sufficient to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins 
We must accept the resurrection in order to receive this gift. Christ's death means little if he has no power over the grave. Our catechism talks about this. It asks about how Christ's resurrection benefits us. The first point it makes is that by his resurrection, he has overcome death. So he can make us share in the righteousness he's obtained for us by his death. We know that Christ earned our righteousness with his death on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 9.26 says that Christ appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But there's a difference between Christ earning our righteousness and being able to share it with us. Jesus' resurrection proved he was able to take our sins from us. Just imagine that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. Then who would he be? A noble man who was trying to bring some good news into the world, but who was killed off by his own people? You certainly cannot claim Jesus as Savior if he lies defeated in some grave. For if Jesus is still lying in a grave somewhere, he does not have the ability to help us. Dead people can't do anything for you. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, then he cannot be seated at the right hand of God. Then he cannot plead our cause, interceding for us because of our sins. It's through his resurrection that Jesus Christ proved his victory over sin and death. Death could not hold Christ in his grip because he is the Lord of life. Peter testifies to this in Acts 2.24, saying, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The result is that we serve a victorious king, one who died and rose again to make a share in the blessings of his salvation. By his resurrection, Christ has not only overcome sin, his resurrection is also a sure sign of his victory over Satan. With a fall into sin, Satan became prince or ruler over this world. God gave him dominion over this world and allowed him to rule the hearts of mankind. We're conceived and born in sin and are by nature children of wrath. Yet the Lord Jesus came to destroy Satan's power. 1 John 3 verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. It's by his resurrection that Christ showed forth his power over Satan. Our catechism says that by Christ's power, we too are raised up to a new life. Just as Christ died and physically rose again, so by his power we die to sin. We are raised up to walk in newness of life. The basic point is simple, beloved. We're no longer ruled by our sinful nature. As children of God, the Holy Spirit has come to make his home 
in us. Christ governs our lives by his word and spirit. And so he helps us live our lives to the glory of God. I'm not saying that as Christians we now live perfect lives. We don't. We still get tempted. We still sin. And yet when we sin, there's a way out. We can plead with God to forgive us, and he will for Christ's sake. We also don't have to live under the mastery of sin and Satan anymore. Christ is our Lord and King. If we look to him, he will help us in our fight against sin and the devil. Instead of being powerless under the assaults of evil forces, Christ will protect us. He will strengthen us so that we can live for him. There's one final benefit that we receive from Christ's resurrection. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 18. He argues that if Christ has been raised from the dead, then those who have died before us have perished. It only makes sense. If there is no such thing as a resurrection from the dead, then this life is all we have. The average person today lives about 80 years. It's but a speck on the timeline of eternity. It passes by fast. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Paul writes, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first roots of those who have fallen asleep. Our catechism makes the same point. It says that Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Those who believe that Jesus died for their sins, that he rose to grant them new life in him, have hope for the future. Beloved, our death is not the end of life. Rather, it's a passing from this life into everlasting life. In John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Christ has promised that he is preparing a place for us in heaven. In John 14, he said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, beloved, if we don't believe in Christ's resurrection, we're also without hope and without future. We're slaves to the present and Our lives are ultimately meaningless. Sure, your family, your career, your recreation may give you some brief pleasure. But without the resurrection, that's only a temporary respite from death and nothingness. If you don't believe that Jesus died and rose again, life is limited to what you can get out of it here and now. Then we may as well eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. 
Yet if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, you may share in all Christ's blessings, in the forgiveness of sins, in living a new spirit-directed life, and in the eternal glory Christ has promised to all who believe in him. Then you may be assured that this life has meaning and purpose, that in Christ we may now already share in communion with God, that in the life to come we may experience this in perfect blessedness. Christ's resurrection is the basis for our hope and our future. Do you believe in Christ's resurrection from the dead? If not, then why not? Have you truly been willing to examine the evidence? How do you explain the change in Christ's disciples? How they went from being discouraged and defeated to being willing to suffer and die for their faith? How do you explain the spread of Christianity? Do you think that the people living in the first century were all crazy? Why were they willing to suffer persecution and even death for their faith? It was all based on a lie. How do you explain that longing in your own soul for life to have meaning and purpose, for there to be more to life than the here and the now? The Christian faith is a reasonable faith, beloved. It's true that we believe some things that cannot be explained by science like the creation of this world or Christ's virgin birth and his resurrection from the dead. But it doesn't make our faith invalid. Atheists believe in the theory of evolution. Many in this world believe in extraterrestrial life. Those things can't be proven either. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. If you deny Christ's victory over sin, Satan, and death, you deny yourself a place with God in eternity. But if you accept the truth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Believe the gospel, beloved. Believe it and live. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing hymn 32.